Welcome to another episode of Sports and Songs Podcast. We're your hosts, Dan and Andy. Merry Christmas. This is the holiday special, Andy. Yes, Christmas weekend edition of Sports This is the Christmas edition of Sports and Songs. Uh, we got a treat. we got a treat for the listeners today. What is it, Andy? Yeah, we're, we're going to do things a little different um, just because there's going to be so many different things going on, travel, this and that. For this week, we're going to concentrate on the 1986 World Series. Um, not the whole season, not the playoffs, just the World Series. Okay. And next week, we'll cover the 87 World Series next week. And next year, we'll do the, something different. So, 86. 86. Now, listeners, who was in the 86 World Series? The greatest baseball team of the 1980s, the New York the Mets. Mets. And the Red Sox. Um, I'll give you full disclosure right now. Rewatching some of the highlights of this and prepping for this stuff, I still think to this day, Ray Knight did not deserve the MVP. I would have gave it to Marty Barrett from the Red Sox on the losing team. Okay. That's, that's coming from a Met guy. So that's that's how good this series was when a Mets fan is saying, that Red Sox player should have an MVP over my guy. Awesome. So that's how good the series was, in my opinion. But we'll get on to the fun here. Um. This, that. There's my. Don't need that. Don't need that part anymore. Here we go. So there it is. The '86 World Series. Uh it was the 83rd edition of the World Series. It was best of seven playoffs with the National League New York champion New York Mets and the American League champion the Boston Red Sox. Um. The Mets won the series of four games to claim their second World Series title, their first since 1969. The series best gets remembered for game six, which saw the Mets rally from a two-run deficit in the bottom of the 10th inning, despite having two outs and no one on base. The Red Sox were had 3-2 with the lead, were twice one strike away from securing the championship, but failed to close out the inning for the Mets, one on an error by Boston's first baseman, Bill Buckner. Due to the Mets claiming the series in Game 7, Game 6 collapse entered, entered baseball's lure as part of the curse of the Bambino, superstition that the Red Sox have been fighting since the 1918 World Series. There's one thing, a uh, rumor that went around in 86 about that is before the Mets made their comeback in the six, or in Game 6, one time the scoreboard at Shea did flash. It's a test for like a second. Congratulations, Boston Red Sox, 86 World Champs. Hmm. That's urban legend. But, you know, because technology wasn't then what it is today, so you never know. But here we go. Uh, the Mets, they finished the regular season with a franchise best 108-54 and 54 record. With the National League East, they won the National League East by 21 and a half games. Wow. Over the division rival Philadelphia Phillies. They then won a tightly contested 86 National League NLCS against the Astros, four games to two, clinching the series on a seven, uh, winning that last game seven to six in 16 innings. Um, during the season, one of the highlights for the Mets that year, July 19th, Mets infielder Tim Tuffle, former Minnesota Twin, pitchers Rick Aguilera, future Minnesota Twin, Bobby Ojeda and Ron Darling were arrested in a fight outside of Houston Bar. Just three days later, the Mets played a game in Cincinnati that saw Ray Knight, Daryl Strawberry, and Kevin Mitchell all get a 
ejected for fighting, forcing catcher Gary Carter to play third base. And also the Mets using a outfield rotation between Jesse Orozco and Roger McDowell, where if a left-handed batter came up, Jesse came and pitched, and Roger went up to the outfield. They switched back and forth. Mets won the game 6-3 in 14 innings on a three-run homer by Howard Johnson in the extra innings there. And so what? that was the AL, NLCS? That that was that game where that happened. That was just a regular game in Cincinnati. Oh, regular season game. Okay. Just an NLCS. Just um, it was a four-two, but those were six tough games. I mean, the Mets really took a beating in that. Just emotionally, the Astros came at it with all they got. Um, uh, the Red the Red Sox. Let's let's give the team their credit here. The Red Sox went ninety-five and sixty-six to win the American League East by five and a half games. Uh, games over the or now it's just the New York Yankees. Um, they did win the AL, ALCS MVP, Marty Barrett, and Rich Gedman. Clutch hitting from both veterans, Wade Boggs, Jim Rice, Don Baylor, Dwight Evans, Dave Henderson. I think the Red Sox were stacked. I mean, this was really an awesome playoffs when you look at it. The sad thing is, is you look at that playoffs in 86, the Angels had that all but one when Donnie Moore, relief pitcher Donnie Moore, kind of had a collapse. When Dave Henderson hits a home run off him, the Angels never came back. Donnie Moore mentally was never the same, and I believe a few years after that, committed suicide. So they both came off very emotional victories in their playoff series. Is, is. We'll start with game one that happened Saturday, October 18th, at the Louis Stadium. Uh, just as they did against Houston in the National League Series, the Mets opened up the World Series by taking a 1-0 defeat. Boston's Bruce Hurst dominated the Mets with his fork ball and looping curve. Bruce Hurst, very underrated pitcher, I thought, in his day. The Mets' Ron Darling was equally effective, yielding just one unearned run in the seventh inning when second baseman Tim Tuffle committed an error by letting a ground ball from Rich Genman go through his legs, allowing Jim Rice to score from second. Red Sox closer and former Mets Calvin Schiraldi walked Daryl Strawberry to lead off the bottom of the ninth inning. However, Sheraldi got Ray Knight to force out Strawberry at second base and then got Wally back with the flat to left field with two outs. Danny Heap pinch hit for Rafael Santana. Sheraldi worked Heap to a 2-2 count before he struck him out to secure the victory. Uh, one thing to note about this, Mets legend Tim Seaver, now a member of the Red Sox, received a standing ovation from the Shea Stadium fans during Game 1 introductions. Seaver did not pitch in the series because of a knee injury. So he was not on the roster because um, of the knee injury he was off. So if the Red Sox would have won, he would not have gotten a ring, basically is what I'm saying. He was there, came out, the old tip of the cap type of deal. So there you go. See the line score, Boston winning 1-0 on an unearned run. Nine hits total in the game between the two teams. Ron Darling taking the L. Hurst with the win. Chiraldi with the save. Game two the next night, Sunday. Game two figured to be a classic pitcher's matchup between Mets young phenom Dwight Gooden and Boston's own young pitching sensation Roger Clemens. But neither pitcher went beyond five innings. The Red Sox scored first in the top of the third inning, allowing a leadoff walk to Spike Owen when Keith Hernandez fielded a Clemens bunt but threw it away trying to catch Owens at second base. Now, this was back then. The games in the National League Park no DH or Mark League Park DH. So that's why it says Clemens Bunt there. A little backstory for that. Um, Marty Barrett drove in um, 
So that went on. Uh, they got Clemens on second base. Wade Boggs then drove in Owens with a double. Marty Barrett drove in Clemens with a single. And Bill Buckner drove in Clemens with a single to give the Sox a 3-0 lead in the bottom half of the, the inning. The Mets had second and third for Wally Backman, who grounded up the middle, plating Santana. Hernandez then grounded out, allowing Gooden to score and bring the Mets to within one run. So that was the third inning scoring there. On top of the fourth, more, I mean, just great hitting. This, these names, the, the stars coming up all the time. It just was, like I said, fun to watch. Stars being stars. At the top of the fourth inning, Dave Henderson, the hero of the ALCS, drove the second pitch from Gunn to left center field for a home run. Dwight Evans followed with a two-run home run in the top of the fifth inning, bringing the score to 6-2. Um, Clemens had a comfortable lead going to the bottom of the fifth. He was pulled in favor of Steve Crawford after facing three batters, leaving runners on first and third. Crawford promptly gave up a single to Gary Carter that scored Backman, cutting the deficit to three runs. Crawford then struck out Straw and Heap to a ground out, but this left Clemens with no decision because Clemens did not finish the fifth inning, so no decision. Gooden was relieved by Rick Aguilera in the sixth inning. Aguilera loaded the bases in the seventh, and after consecutive, consecutive RBI singles by Hendu and Owen, he was pulled in favor of Jesse Roscoe, who shut the door on the Red Sox for the next two innings. That's right. A closer pitched two innings. Uh, as you see, the game went on. Um, uh, Henderson and Evans getting home runs. You see Gooden getting the loss. Crawford the win. Bob Stanley came in for the relief save. Bob Stanley, good veteran pitcher. Uh that's what good thing the Red Sox did. They had good, strong pitching there. Um, so uh, that's how that went. Uh, the Red Sox were not done, however, facing Sid Fernandez. Uh, Sid came in to pitch in the ninth and gave up a run there. So Sid was the Mets' like fifth starter, so he kind of got the long relief. Odd start in the playoffs here. So there we are. The boys from New York were down 0-2. Life was not, not good at all. Um, so here we go. Game three, the Mets started well when Lenny Dykes were let off the game with a home run. Um, I believe at the time, the three world series, the Mets had been in game three, the leadoff hitter had always hit a home run. So that kind of was kind of ooh, scary, but happened. Uh, after two singles, Gary Carter followed with an RBI double. And Danny Heap drove in two runs with a single to give the Mets a 4-0 lead in the first inning. So Bobby Ojeda, former Red Sox, comes in for a nice big start. After the rocky start, Red Sox starter Oil Can Boyd settled down. But Bobby Ojeda pitched well, and Boston was unable to overcome their early deficit. It was the first at-bat in the World Series. Boston's Don Baylor also homered in the second inning over the Green Monster, resulting in a double. So... Uh, Don Baylor almost homered. I'm sorry, not also, almost homered. So Don Baylor playing for the Red Sox there, the DH coming into play. Ojeda gave up an RBI single to Marty Barrett in the bottom of the third. This would be the only Boston run of the game. Carter drove in two runs with the bases loaded single in the seventh, and Ray Knight and Daryl Strawberry had singles to move to third on wild pitches. With a double in the eighth inning off Joe Sambito, Roger McDowell. Pitched the final two frames for a 7-1 victory. 
<coughs> Excuse me. So there you go. A reliever again, pitching two innings. Um, again, the Mets got that big start and just you know, things start clicking. They got to be the cocky Mets. They were all year long with the big lead and just we were relaxed. Game four, Wednesday, the 22nd. Ronnie Darling faced off against Boston's Al Nipper. Al Nipper, another underrated pitcher. I thought he was very, very good. As the Mets looked to tie the series, neither starter allowed a run until the fourth inning when Gary Carter ripped a two-run home run over the Green Monster and Ray Knight drove in Daryl Strawberry would, Strawberry would double after a home run with a single. Lenny Dykstra had a two-run homer of his own the top of the seventh inning, and Carter hit a shot off the top of the eighth inning, both off Steve Crawford. So Carter had two home runs that game. Dykstra had his second of the series. Um, Roscoe came in to get the save. Uh, Mets were just kind of clicking right there. That they're fourth inning. Again, 3 nothing lead, 5 nothing lead after 7. A little relaxed in the eighth there, so that's real, real good. Um, so that was very – we're tied at two. It's now a best, best of series. Game five, Thursday. Um, it's Gooden and Hurst again here, so here we go. Oops. So the Red Sox struck first in the second one. Dave Henderson triple off the right field off Dwight Gooden. Baxter in that first. For Dave Henderson to hit a triple, that's like Herbeck hitting a triple. So just that that's amazing right there. And when the big man like that gets a triple, that pumps your team up. So that was kind of a huge thing there. Off Gooden, he scored when Spike Owens sacrificed fly. Dewey Evans had an RBI single in the next inning. With the two out, made it up to a 2-0 Red Sox. In the fifth, Jim Rice had a leadoff triple. Again, old boy with a triple. Um, and scored on Don Baylor's single. After Evans singles, Sid Fernandez relieved Gooden and allowed an, allowed an RBI double to Henderson. <clears throat> Bruce, Bruce Hurst pitched seven and a third shutout innings before Tim Tuffle's home run in the eighth put the Mets on the board. In the ninth, Mookie Wilson doubled with two outs to score Rafael Santana's single before Hurst struck out Dykstra to end the game as the Red Sox 4-2 gave them a 3-2 series lead heading back to New York. Is that a complete game then? No, seven and, seven and a third. Uh, so no save then? No save because of, uh, um, let's see, for Tuffle's home run, they did not give him a save. Mookie Wilson doubled. I think it was four nothing. He came out when it was a four nothing lead, and there was don't think the runner was on base. I don't have the box score. Gotcha. Um, so he must have struck out the first guy. It was a four nothing lead. Okay. So not a save opportunity. Okay. Yeah, I don't have the box score with me, but that's why I'm figuring it that way right there. Yeah. So we go on to game six. Dun dun dun. History. <laughs> Game six, Boston took a quick 2-0 lead on RBI base hits from Dwight Evans and Marty Barrett. The Mets tied the score in the fifth inning with a single from Ray Knight and a run-scoring double play by Danny Heath in his last at-bat as a Met. We got over it real fast, though. In the sixth inning, the Mets had a chance to take the lead 
But back-to-back hits by Wally Backman and Keith Hernandez were of no avail. When Gary Carter struck out with Backman on third and only one out, and Daryl Strawberry grounded out. Instead, it was Boston Red Sox who went ahead. Air by Ray Knight led to Barrett scoring in the seventh, giving Boston a 3-2 lead. This go-ahead run for the Red Sox scored on a ground out by Dwight Evans to second, which could have resulted in an ending 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 double play with the game still tied at 2-2. However, Red Sox manager John McNamara had put the hit and run play on, which led to Jim Rice being safe at second. Thus, the rally, the relay throw from Kevin Elster wasn't in time. So again, smart managing, smart veteran play. There's no hit and run there. Rice is out. So Boston takes the 3-2 lead after seven. Top of the eight. Red Sox have Dave Henderson on second with one out. Manager John McNamara sent rookie Mike Greenwell to pinch hit for Roger Clemens, an effort to match Greenwell, a left-handed batter, against the Mets' dominant short-relief man, Roger McDowell. Even as, even as a righty slugger, Don Baylor sat on the bench. Greenwell struck out, and the Sox scored no runs that inning. Just to back up John McNamara's there, uh, thought there, lefty-righty, that's the matchup you want. But also... McDowell's a sidearm pitcher. So I don't know if that would give Baylor issues, how he felt against sidearm guys compared to a regular over-the-top right-handed pitcher. So that might have had something to play with it there too. And also, you can't have a game in the hand, save Baylor for later in the game if you need him. I, I have no problem with McNamara's call there. Um, so, like I said, uh, Greenwell struck out. Red Sox did not score the inning. After loading the bases with two outs, one intentional, a fly out the center by Bill Buckner on the first pitch of his at-bat. It, it was intentional, as you said, that Clemens was removed from the game due to a blister forming on his finger. But both he and McNamara dispute this. Clemens said that Bob Costas on MLB Network programming concerning the 86 postseason that McNamara decided to pull him despite Clemens wanting the pitch. McNamara said to Costas that Clemens begged out of the game. So there are some issues there, uh, screen manager and player. Regardless of who's told the truth, McNamara had been warning, warming, warming up closer Calvin Schiraldi in the bullpen for some time and brought him in in the bottom of the eighth inning for a potential two-inning save. Lee Mazzilli, pinch hitting for Jesse Orozco, who had recorded the final out of the eight, let off the inning with a single. Lenny Dykstra then reached on an attempted sacrifice to put two runners on. Wally Backman followed with another bunt to move Mazzilli and Dykstra into scoring position, and Chiraldi intentionally walked Keith Hernandez to load the bases for Gary Carter. Chiraldi ran up to a 3-0 count on Carter. Carter swung at the next pitch and flied to left. Deep enough to score Mazzilli and tie the game, with Dykstra now at third, Strawberry stood with a chance to drive in the go-ahead run, but failed, but flied out to end the inning. So here we are after eight, tied up. After the Red Sox failed to score against Rick Aguilar in the top of the ninth, the Mets came up with a chance to win the game. Ray Knight started the inning by drawing a walk off Shirelli. Mookie Wilson 
was then asked to lay down a bunt to try to move the runner to second. The bunt landed directly in front of home plate. Red Sox catcher Rich Gedman saw he had a play at second and threw it to try to get the lead runner. His throw was high, however, and pulled shortstop Spike Owen off the bag long enough for Ray Knight to slide in safely. Owen Barrett McNamara argued that second base umpire Jim Evans made the wrong call, with McNamara saying he couldn't have seen Owen's foot land back on the bag. But television replay showed that Knight's hand touched just before Owen's foot hit the bag. Now, there was no instant replay at the time then there, but I'm pretty sure they would have used it. And then, as they said, their replay showed that they would have been wrong. With runners now in scoring position and still nobody out, Howard Johnson came up to pinch hit for Kevin Elster. Boston, again, expecting a bunt attempt, but manager David Johnson did not call for one. Johnson eventually struck out. Sheraldi got Mazzilli, who stayed in the game as a defensive replacement for Strawberry and Dykstra for back-to-back flyouts to Jim Rice to end the inning. In the visiting 10th, Henderson hit Aguilera's second pitch of the inning out of the park for a 4-3 lead. After getting Owens to strike out the first of two opportunities for McNamara to utilize his bench, where he had several pinch-hitting options, including Baylor still available, came up with the pitcher's spot now due. McNamara, however, sent Chiraldi to the plate despite having both Joe Sambito and Bob Stanley, the latter having not recorded a single earned run in the postseason at this point, in the bullpen ready to go. Aguilar retired Chiraldi on a strikeout for the second out. So here's a critical point right there. If he pinch hits, brings in a fresh pitcher. Not that Chiraldi was dogged, but you could win this. You've got yeah. a chance to do some damage. You know, like they say, you got your foot on their throat, you keep going. Wade Boggs then followed with a double. Barrett drove him in with a single to give the Red Sox an insurance run and a 5-3 lead. Second chance for McNamara to use his bench followed. Bill Buckner was the next batter. And in many cases where Boston would have been leading late in games, McNamara would take Buckner and replace him with Dave Stapleton at first base, as he had done at all three previous Red Sox victories in the series. This time, he did not. Even, they, even after Aguilera drilled the veteran first baseman in the hip with the pitch, Rice, the next batter, ended the inning with a flyout to Mazzilli. When asked later about the decision to leave Buckner in the game, McNamara intentionally said that he felt that he deserved to stay on the field for the potential final out to preserve the victory and the championship. Buckner, after all, was the third oldest Boston Red Sox player behind Baylor, and Tom Seaver, who was not even on the roster. He was an 18-year veteran who had only seen action in one prior World Series, which came when he was a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers in 74. Years later, McNamara changed his story, said that the reason he had nothing to do with sentimentally, but instead that Stapleton, who said McNamara's decision cost the Red Sox a series, was not a reliable defender, and that his teammates had taken to calling him Shanky in a result. In spite of McNamara's decision, Stapleton had only commented or had only committed one error at first base. So, like you've seen a lot of teams do, you put in the defensive replacement, even though you got your all star veteran at first, you put your defensive replacement in with the big lead. Again, I see McNamara's point. You got a guy like Buckner who had a great career. 
you want them on the field. But then again, it's for the World Series. You're, you're not going to be there every year. Um, I think Buckner, in my opinion, was professional and veteran enough. He'd have been okay being pulled to get a chance at the ring. Hindsight being 2020, obviously, but I think Buckner would have got if he was pulled for somebody else for a defensive replacement. All right, here we go. Needing to rally for the second time in three innings and having, and now having to overcome a two-run deficit, the Mets' first two batters in the 10th went quietly against Schroen. Backman flew out the left, and Keith Hernandez flew out the center. Umpire Harvey Wendelstead, who is now working third base, the night asked Wade Boggs if he could have his hat since he collected the hats of the winning third baseman, but was still one out to go. Boggs told Wendelstead that it isn't over yet. With Carter now New York's last hope, the words congratulations, Boston Red Sox, 1986 champions, briefly and accidentally flashed on the scoreboard. The celebration was put on hold as Carter singled to bring the tying run to the plate. Now, again, there they said it was on there. There's been some stories, people saying it didn't show up. I, I think it did. He had not come out of the, the ninth inning since he – had he not come out of the ninth inning, Strawberry would have been the next batter. Because of a double switch, the pitcher took his spot in the lineup and Aguilar was due up. Johnson had decided to send rookie utility man Kevin Mitchell to pinch hit for the young reliever, who is now the moment the pitcher – who is now the moment the pitcher of record. Kevin Mitchell – they called him world because he could play any position all over the world. He played all the outfields, third, first. After this, he went on to have a nice little career with the Giants. Uh, hit 50 home runs one year, a couple years after this for the Giants. So Kevin Mitchell's done with the bat. Mitchell, however, was not in the dugout, as had been said and later denied by Mitchell, that since he believed the game was over after Hernandez flew out, the rookie went back into the clubhouse and took his uniform off, deciding to get ahead start on booking a flight back home. Someone had to be sent to the clubhouse to get him, and Mitchell had to rush to put his uniform back on to come and take the field for his at-bat. Despite the rush, the rookie utility man came through with a single of his own, advancing Carter to second and putting the tying runs on the base with Ray Knight, now the potential winning run coming up. Schroeder got two quick strikes on the Mets' third baseman who had already driven in one run so far. However, with his team within one strike of the elusive championship, he could not finish the job as Knight singled to left center. Carter scored from second, standing up, and the speedy Mitchell advanced to third. Finally, McNamara decided that his closer had seen enough and called on the veteran Stanley to come in and try to close the game. Some later speculated as why Stanley, who had been warming up the time since the ninth inning before, had not been called upon earlier instead of McNamara asking for a third inning out of Chiraldi, who had already blown the save. The next batter was Mookie Wilson, who had recorded one hit and reached on a fielder's choice after a badly thrown ball by Gedman in the ninth. Six pitches into that bat. Count even, two balls, two strikes. Stanley threw a breaking ball that broke sharply inside and bounced at the feet of Wilson who fell down trying to avoid it. Gedman tried to field the ball, but could not, and it rolled to the backstop. From his knees, Wilson signaled for Mitchell to come home, and 
from third, and he scored easily, tying the score at five. Knight advanced to second on the wild pitch. Several times during the ensuing series of pitches, second baseman Marty Barrett realized that Knight was trying was straying too far from the base and that he could get Stanley to turn and throw to him. He could have easily picked him off the play, the inning, could, and the inning would have ended. Despite his best attempts, Barrett was never able to get Stanley to hear him as the sellout crowd at Shea was drawing him out, and Stanley instead came to the plate to try to get Wilson out. So Ray Knight was cheating out, not cheating off second, but taking advantage of the emotion, adrenaline, leading off second a little more. Marty Barrett's trying to get his attention. This is where the catcher should have seen it too. Why Gedman didn't give him a signal to throw over or something kind of confuses me there too. And the 10th pitch of that bat, Stanley finally got Wilson to put the ball into play, forcing a ground ball to first base. Veteran first baseman Bill Buckner, who's playing at the lip of the infield to protect against the hit through the first, the first second base hole, moved over to the foul line to try to get the field the ball, but it rolled between his legs in the right field. Knight rounded third and scored without a play, and the Mets tied the series at three with a 6-5 victory. In 2011, ESPN, ESPN Films documentary, Catching Hell, Buckner explained how, years after the event, he realized from watching on television replay how he had missed the ball. He said, when he played the field, he liked to wear his loose glove, a very loose glove, i.e. one that was floppy. When he moved to his left to try to field Wilson's grounder and then stopped, the momentum of the left of the leftward moving loose glove caused the glove to close. The ball then went past his right side of his glove. Bill, we don't want excuses. You're an 18-year-old veteran, or 18-year veteran. You smother that glove on the ground and you lay on it. You make a goalie stop. You stop that ball. After the top of the 10th, NBC began setting up the visiting clubhouse for what they believed would have been the inevitable post-game victory celebration. The commissioner's trophy had been brought in to the Red Sox clubhouse, along with several bottles of champagne. Bob Casas was to preside over the presentation. However, after Stanley's wild pitch, bottom of the 10th, everything had quickly been struck and removed from the room before the Red Sox had returned. Casas later recalled removal of the equipment of the post-game celebration as being a scene, like a scene change on a Broadway musical, in and out, gone, not a trace. In 2011, Major League Baseball ranked this as the third greatest game of the preceding 50 years. It was the World Series game at the end of an era of game four in the 2020 World Series. In the hours that followed after game six, a rainstorm passed over New York. The metropolitan area. The field at Chase Stadium was underwater. Major League Baseball was forced to reschedule Game 7 for the next night, October 27th. Here's where things get dicey. This next game on Monday was opposite a Monday night football game. So, I like today, I can just imagine what the networks would be like today if that happened, but yes, it was... Uh, a little, little itchy there. So Ron Darling was scheduled to be a starter for the Mets, who were 
on a three-man three man rotation for most of the series with him, Good, and Ojeda. In his two stints so far in the series, Darling was 1-1 one, one one with an earned run average of zero. The only run he'd given up as a result of game one to Bob Hurt with, against Bruce Hurst was that uh, unearned run. Oil Camp Boyd, the number three starter for the Red Sox, was originally scheduled for start game seven. The Mets had gotten to him early in game three, which they won 7-1 to record their first win of the series. Boyd gave up four runs in the first inning of game three and six overall despite pitching into the seventh, getting only one run out of support of in support of the loss. The unscheduled day off, however, allowed Red Sox manager John McNamara to reconsider his pitching matchup for the deciding game of the series. Hurst, who was to be set to award the MVP award, had the Red Sox been able to close out game six for the victory, had gotten a third day of rest because of the rainout. In his mind, he gave him the ball. So the guy who should have been MVP if they'd won game six gets this extra rest. It's looking all good. Um, after Boyd received the word that he was not starting the final game of the series, he went down to the visitor's clubhouse and remained there alone for some time. McNamara dispatched pitching coach to go find Boyd. Coach Bill Fisher discovered the oil can had consumed a great deal of alcohol and was in no condition to function, much less play. Fisher moved Boyd into the manager's office where he locked the door and left him alone to watch the entire game. In the 500th game of World Series history, Boston got the darling early, recording three runs in the second inning. Dewey Evans and Rich Gedman hit back-to-back home runs to lead off the inning with two outs. Wade Boggs drove in Dave Henderson with a single for a 3-0 Red Sox lead. Gedman's home run was noteworthy for several reasons. It occurred on the first pitch of the delay of just over three minutes during which Portable stands down the first base line had to be restored after several fans reaching for a foul ball had collapsed them. Uh, the subsequent pitch by Darling, which came on two-strike count, one and two, led to Gedman's home run. However, the ball was almost caught by Daryl Strawberry, who was reaching over the right field wall. Fortunately for the Red Sox, the ball fell out of Strawberry's glove and cleared the fence for a 2-0 lead. If Strawberry had recorded the out, the ending may have ended with only one Boston run instead of three. As three batters later, Boston Red Sox pitcher Bruce Hurst would have stepped up to the plate to bat with two outs instead of a sacrifice situation, which he successfully converted to set up Wade Boggs's sink. The Mets, meanwhile, could not muster much any of anything against Hurst. Three innings had only reached one hit. In the fourth inning, inning, Henderson reached after Darling hit him with a pitch. After Spike Owen flew out, Hurst laid a bunt down, moved Henderson over to scoring position. Davey Johnson lifted Darling for Sid Fernandez to face Boggs and the leading hitter in the series, Marty Barrett. Boggs managed to draw a walk, but Fernandez retired Barrett on a fly ball to right field in the inning. The Mets did not have any answers for Hurst, which as a kid watching this, I was scared out of my mind. The way watching Bruce Hurst was just dominating. The Red Sox conversely went down in order against Sid in the fifth and sixth which kept the deficit at three. In the bottom of the inning, the Mets finally were able to break out against their nemesis and turn the tide in the favor. After Hurst got out 
when Rafael Santana grounded out, Lee Mazzilli came up with a pinch hit for Fernandez and singled. Mookie Wilson followed with a single of his own. And second baseman Tim Tuffle drew a walk with the bases loaded. Keith Hernandez then drove in the lead runs with the single, and Wally Backman came in the run for Tuffle, representing the tying run. Gary Carter was the next batter, and he lifted a fly ball to Evans and Wright. The veteran outfielder had to dive in order to catch it. He was unable to come up with it catch right field umpire dale ford did not immediately rule whether it was a no catch which crossed up hernandez on the base pass since the ball was ruled to be in play he had an attempt to advance the second base since there was a delay in the ruling evans was able to throw the ball back into the infield to force hernandez at second backman managed to score on the play and to tie the game but the mets lost the opportunity to have daryl strawberry come up the chance with go ahead run Instead, Hurst gave him a flyout. Hurst was then lifted for a pinch hitter when his inning came up. Yes, they have uh, six umpires out there. They have the outfield umpires. They're human. You dive, you can't tell if it's catch or not. It happens. Um, 16-year-old me was very upset. 51-year-old me gets it. Roger McDowell entered the game for the Mets in the seventh inning <clears throat> and retired pitcher Tony Armas. Boggs, and Barrett in order. McNamara called on game six closer Kelvin Schiraldi to pitch in the home half of the inning. Despite his struggles and the extended outing he had the two nights earlier, the day of rest did not help. He was immediately surrendered a home run to Ray Knight leading off, giving the Mets their first lead of the game. Lenny Dykstra came up as a pinch hitter and singled, then advanced a second on a wild pitch and scored on a single by Rafael Santana. After McDowell successfully removed Santana into the scoring position, McNamara decided to take the ball out of Schiraldi and brought in Joe Sambito. After putting Wilson on intentionally, Sambito walked back in to load the bases, and Hernandez followed the sacrifice fly to score Santana and give the Mets a three-run advantage. Bob Stanley recorded the final out by getting Gary Carter to ground Owens shortstop. So here we go. We're doing well. Down to the last six outs. Boston had not had a guy reach base since Boggs walk in the fourth. Jim Rice had scored in the last Red Sox hit on a single third, but had been thrown out trying to stretch it into a double. They tried to rally against McDowell in the eighth. Buckner led off the ending with a single. Rice followed with another single. Evans doubled after that to make the score 6-5 and bring again into the plate with a potential go-ahead run. Needing to stop the rally, Johnson pulled McDowell in favor of Jesse Roscoe to face the Red Sox catcher. After inducing a line drive to second that Backman caught on the first out, Roscoe struck out Henderson for the second, and then got Don Baylor batting for Owen to ground out to end the Boston rally. Bottom of the eighth. Here we go. The Mets finally are able to put the game away at the expense of game four loser Al Nepper. Strawberry let off. With a solo home run, Knight singled, advanced the second on the ground by Dykstra, ground out by Dykstra. Santana was intentionally walked to get to the pitcher's spot. But Roscoe did not come to bat, but also managed to drive Knight in with a swing away on a fake bunt attempt to extend the lead back to three. Steve Crawford then came in to face Wilson and hit him, loading the bases. Backman then grounded into a force, retiring Santana. And Hernandez grounded out to end the inning. 
Staked to an 8-5 lead, Roscoe faced Ed Romero, who had taken over for shortstop Spike Owen in the eighth. To stop, uh, to start the top of the ninth and retired him with a foul pop. Boggs then grounded out to Backman at second, leaving Barrett as the last hope for the Red Sox. Roscoe worked at a 2-2 count before getting Barrett to swing a miss, tossing the glove high in the air. Mets win, Mets win, Mets win. So a little summary here. Um, first four games, split 2-2. Two, two. Uh, road team winning all of those. And then the home team wins the last three. I uh, can see the attendance figures there, Benway being, of course, a smaller park. But a good time of game. I mean, one, two, two of the games were under three hours. Game at 3.09, 3.11. So quick moving games. You heard a lot of subs in there, but just – game paid, played back then was different. My opinion, the rain delay helped the Mets. I don't think it mattered either way. I just think it was going to be what it was going to be. So other fun facts from the game. Uh, World Series MVP was awarded to Ray Knight, who led the Mets regulars with nine hits and a, two, a 393 average in the series. He also recorded five runs batted in, second to Gary Carter's nine. Um, Naming Knight the MVP instead of Hurst assured that Bobby Richardson of the 1960 Yankees is the only World Series MVP from a losing team. And that remained that way until the 2020 season. Marty Barrett, in a losing effort, recorded 13 hits, tying a World Series record, a 433 average. Dave Henderson recorded 10 hits, a 400 average. Jim Rice and Wade Boggs each had nine hits. So, like I said, Marty Barrett was a good argument for MVP right there. Um, there was one postscript thing here I wanted to mention. Uh, let's see if I can find it here real quick in my notes. Okay, here we go. Game six did not end to 12.32 a.m. Eastern, causing the first cancellation of an episode of NBC's Saturday Night Live in the show's history. The episode, hosted by Rosanna Arquette, was scheduled to go on live at 11.30 p.m. Eastern was instead recorded for the studio audience beginning at 1.30 a.m. and aired November 8th with a comic apology from Ron Darling. NBC generally no longer schedules first-run and Saturday night episodes during the World Series. NBC's broadcast Game 7, which went up against Monday Night Football, the Washington Redskins and New York Giants on ABC, garnered a Nielsen rating of 38.9 and a 55 share, making it the highest-rated single World Series game to date. So there we go, sir. It's my uh, so was it, uh, Andy, was it game six where they had the railing uh, collapse? They had to put that up there? And, and... That was, yeah, that was what happened is if you watch the game, you go back and watch it, there's a growl ball. Go back there. and watch that, yeah. Everybody leans over for the ball like most people do and whoop, falls over. It's those railings that you see, like, they use for crowd control at ticket lines, you know. It's not the hardest railing in the world. I mean, we could cough and have knocked it over. So that fell down. Not making excuses for Darling, but, you know, y'all pitchers are. They'll find any excuse they can. Darling didn't really complain about it, just it is what it is. They add the extra seats for the playoffs and World Series. Um, As a Mets fan, like I said, I still believe to this day Marty Burt should have got MVP. I thought he deserved it. Uh, you saw, you hear the numbers there. You watch them, look them up. Um, 
one other thing, a fact about that, you listen to all those names. Um, I got it right here on my sheet of paper I wrote down. Is uh, the Red Sox, Wade Moggs and Jim Rice have only two in the Hall of Fame off that team. 86 Mets team, Gary Carter's the only one in the Hall of Fame, and he went in as an expo. So there's technically no New York Met. You know, it just shows you how a super team can be put together. Great guys, some ending their career, some like Carter, Hernandez. Rookies coming up, Kevin Mitchell, Lee Mazzilli, great utility player. Um, Tuffle, Backman, Dykstra, Mookie Wilson, all great guys. Strawberry and good, not in the Hall of Fame, but their career is too short because of substance abuse issues. Ray Knight, great player, not a Hall of Famer. So you don't need all-star Hall of Famers to win championships. You need lots of better-than-average players, and that's what the 86 Mets had. Um, like I said, Hernandez was still tail end of his career, but still had a little gas to tank. Gary Carter still had gas in the tank. Um, Howard Johnson was coming up. Strawberry and Gunn, of course, were there. Were what they were. Um, the pitching staff, Darling was a good young pitcher. Also, Sid Fernandez was good. He had great, great staff. Um, but it all came down to coaching. Davey Johnson was such a great manager. John McNamara overguessed himself so much. And I think what the funny, one of the funniest things in there is I was going through the research on this, that scuffle between um, Clemens and John McNamara on why he pulled them. Funny, though, after that, it was a contract year for Clemens. And so he knew his manager was going to be the manager in the All-Star game the next year. So Clemens got a real nice big bonus if he started the All-Star game in 87. Because he's figured, if I'm decent, and I'm Roger Clemens, and my manager's managing – you're darn right. I'm starting. You know that's just the way it is. That's yeah. an unwritten rule. But uh, you go back and watch it. You watch the highlights. You could hate the Mets and love the Red Sox. I don't care. It's still it was a great series, a great seven game series. Um, it started out like I said. It was the last that World Series. I said uh, it was odd that the team that lost the first two games came back and won. The home team lost the first two games and won. That also happened in the 85 World Series with Kansas City and St. Louis. Which, as we find out, spoiler alert, next week, that doesn't happen. Um, home team doesn't lose the first two next week. Um, yeah, that, that just shows how evenly those teams were, were too. Four of the seven games were won by the road team. Uh, pitchers, that was maybe the Red Sox downfall was their pitchers were a little long in the tooth. Uh, Shirali, Bob Daly, they were good pitchers, but when you're in that seven-game series with the World Series and you're, no, we don't have a game to burn to put Joe Smith in to pitch for a few innings. It's, these are our six, our three starters. This is our long reliever. These are our two closers. That's kind of how life was back then. The Mets went with their three starters. They had a five-man rotation all year. They went with three. Sid, as you heard, pitched a lot of relief in there. Clemens and Orozco were in there. You didn't have what you have today where you got the mop-up guys. You see six pitchers used in a game. You didn't have that. So. And Oil Can was all set on pitching the last game and then was 
told after the rain delay that he's not. Nope, we're going with this guy. Oh, Cam went back. Had a few cocktails. Said, fine. I'll be back here if you need me. Oh, man. So I'm going to go back now. I think I'm going to have to watch this series. That sounds awesome. Yeah, just watch the highlights on YouTube. Um, I got the videotape highlights if you want to watch it on the VHS. If you still have VHS. Um, Nice. So, yeah, it was. It was just fun to watch, just the excitement. The you just run back and forth games. It wasn't a oh they won this game seven to one, and the other team won ten to two. I mean they were all close, close games. So that, that was fun to watch. I'm a big Lenny Dykstra fan. He's a good Dykstra. To watch. The 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 thing that I like about Dykstra, we all did it as kids, but he did it as professional, where you take. The big league chew and the beech nut chew, and you combine them because that was him. He, he had that dripping stuff. out of his mouth yeah. while he's batting. Oh. Just yeah, he was mess. just not. And Lenny, God bless him, he's a good guy. I saw an interview with him a while ago. He's had his issues, had his issues. I wish he didn't because I think he was a good player. So I wish he didn't have his issues because I'd love to hear him as a commentator because he, he was kind of like a John Cruck, I think. Like Cruck was as a commentator. Yeah. He was just one of the guys. And he would have been a know, good commentator, I think. He was a great local commentator, not national. Because yeah. he could have been with the boys. You know, like Dan Glenn is with the Twins. He's one of the guys. You know, I think that could have been Dykstra. No, it could have been awesome. Well, Andy, thanks for putting together that summary. That's uh, that's some good information. That was It was fun. Uh, like, oh, and there was, there's, uh, like I said, the two guys with the Red Sox, Boggs and Rice. And Carter from the Mets, but Carter went as the Expos. And Seaver, since he wasn't on there on their roster, can't really say he was a Hall of Famer that was on the team. So that's the asterisk to that. All right. Well, thanks for the uh, presentation. That was very good. Well done. All right. It was great. That's all I got for today, uh, folks. Uh, see you next time. See ya. Bye bye. See ya.